Praise the Lord. You know, God is not obligated to keep that which we have not committed. And so I trust that we see the value of being committed. Appreciate our thoughts of our brother and the devotional exercise this evening. All right, tonight we're going to continue in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we'll be looking at Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. And I've entitled the message, Kingdom People and Trust. A couple definitions for the word trust is, uh, number one, to be confident. And obviously this confidence is not a a self-confidence. It's a confidence in God. Second definition is to depend. Third is the absence of mistrust, just the opposite of trust. And then fourth is to commit ourselves into another's care. In this case, commit ourselves to the care of God, trusting in Him. All right, I'm going to read this portion of Scripture, verses 25 to 34. Therefore take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We notice in verse 25 the word therefore. As a matter of fact, we see the word therefore uh, three times in this, in this text. And uh, whenever we see the word, uh, well, therefore means, or we could say for that reason. And so we have all of this, all these verses here in the latter part of chapter 6 kind of interconnected. Uh, Whenever we see the word therefore, we need to see what it's there for. There's a a connecting thought uh, related to the word. And so after the therefore, you're going to find an application that is made to the preceding thought. And so with that in mind... uh, Obviously, this message is connected to last night's message. It's very closely related. There are three reasons we need to trust God and to trust God alone. Is number one, the oppressiveness of trying to serve a second master. And we saw that last evening in verse 24. It just it becomes very oppressive when two conflicting authorities are ruling our lives. 
The second reason for trusting God is because God's care for his creation. In verse 30, he has created us along with the natural world. And the third reason for trusting God is the needs of life are conditionally ours. And we see that in verse 33. We also notice in this portion of Scripture the phrase, take no thought, that appears four times, verses 25, 28, 31, and 34. We also notice that the word thought shows up six times. And the word thought here, the original has the idea of a distracting carefulness. Uh, not merely a cautious carefulness, but an anxious carefulness, something that is almost overpowering. There are two primary truths that this text teaches us. God will take care of our needs. And secondly, God does not want us to be preoccupied with temporal things, mainly because he will take care of our needs. And so let's examine the text a little more closely. Uh, verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Take no thought. Take no thought. Again, this, this little word no is one of those things that I really don't know is that you can define it uh, anyway, but no. I mean, what is it about no that we don't understand? Uh, I was tempted to tell that to telemarketers already. I never have. You know, you tell them no and they keep persisting. But, you know, what definition does the word no mean? It simply means take no thought. Uh, not even just a little bit. Take no thought about being anxious or worried. You know, anxiety is, is an enemy to trust. It's contrary to trusting our Heavenly Father. Worry is just simply put a hindrance to the expression of our faith. And many times we find ourselves caught up in anxiety. And it may be different things for different people. We're not all made of the same cookie cutter. Uh, we don't get anxious about the same things. Uh, I don't get anxious about the things my wife gets anxious about, nor does she get anxious about the things I get anxious about. And we're just different that way. But regardless of what we may get anxious about, it says there, take no thought. Don't become anxious about anything. In Psalm uh, 55, verse 22, the, the words of the psalmist, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee, and he shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Tremendous promise. But you know, when the pressures of life come crowding in, we, we tend to forget these promises. Uh, we end up carrying burdens that God didn't intend us to carry. Uh, Verse in Psalm 127, verse 2. Psalm 127, verse 2. It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. I think all of us probably have experienced some anxiety, some more, some less, but we probably experienced enough of it to realize that Anxiety is a thief. And it's a thief that usually comes during the night hours. 
when we uh, slow down and, and uh, instead of going to sleep, we start thinking. And before we know what happens, we're, we're all keyed up. We're all anxious about things that might happen or that could happen. Uh, and and, and we, we end up losing our sleep. We end up becoming over-anxious. We end up imagining things that in all probability never will happen. I mean, that's one thing with us human creatures. Our imaginations are very fertile. And in a sense, that's a blessing. But we need to keep those imaginations sanctified. Because if we don't allow them to be sanctified, we're going to become warriors. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4.6, he says, Be careful for nothing. And my own paraphrase for that is, don't worry about a thing. That's simply what that means. Don't worry about a thing. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Do we know what that means? Can we effectively do that? Not if we're worried. It's not that simple. You can't shrug it off that easy. And so we need to be careful that we don't allow this worry thing, this anxiety thing, to begin to overrule the trust that the Lord wants us to have in Him. We notice here in verse 25, it says, The life is more than meat. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? This simply alerts us to the fact that our spiritual well-being ought to have preeminence over our physical well-being. And I, I realize, too, that when people have physical infirmities, especially when they have, repeat, have them repeatedly, it, it becomes difficult to, to exercise your faith. And I, I realize that's a, that's a challenge. And, and so, in, in a sense, I want you to know that, that I, at least in part, understand what that's like, even though I've never, the Lord has blessed me with good health, and so I have to be careful what I say. Somebody can easily say, well, you don't know what it's like, and, and I confess that's correct. I, I've not been there. But our spiritual well-being is still more important than our physical well-being, and that's what Jesus is trying to, to point out to us. And so he, he uh, uses several different lessons. In verse 26, he says, Behold the fowls of the air. And so let's stop and observe the birds. Jesus is calling us here to be bird watchers and to observe how they function in their sphere of the world. And so what do we observe about the birds? It says that neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. They're not preoccupied about the future. Uh, I think it was last year, maybe it was a year before, I was hunting and sitting on a stump, and you know, it's a great time to watch the birds. And I had the privilege of this little, my wife would know exactly what it is. She's a, she watches the birds. I mean, she literally watches birds. She keeps track of what she sees every year. Uh, but this little bird... Uh, was feeding on the ground. And it, there was no signs of anxiety. Uh, it was, and, and it wasn't, it was just, whatever it was eating, it was, it ate it as it picked it up. It didn't stuff it in a bag under its feather. 
so it wasn't preoccupied with the future and was so unconcerned that it came up right between my feet and, and I was able to watch it up close. And so we learned from, from the bird world that they aren't over-anxious about the future because God takes care of them. But we become so preoccupied with our future. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 8, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain, notice that, it is certain that we carry nothing out. That's one of the reasons we do not have U-Haul vans following the funeral procession, because we know that anything that was accumulated in life is not going to be transported to the next world. And so... We're contented with what we have. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be, be content. And so I believe contentment is something that we need to learn. And it may not always be learned all that easily. Trust involves a total abandonment of our selfishness. It involves dying to self. It involves learning to trust the Lord Jesus. And it releases us from a competitive spirit, just like the birds. There's no competitive spirit with birds. Well, yeah, every once in a while, I, my wife feeds hummingbirds, and every once in a while they get to trying to decide which one should be there. And so I guess the animal world, the bird world does have some of that, but in, typically they don't, they don't have a competitive spirit. Uh, a competitive spirit... If we allow that to develop in our hearts and lives, it becomes so oppressive. It's like the two masters that I was talking about last night. We, we don't know whom to serve. A, com a competitive spirit causes, causes us to feel that God is unable to perform what he has promised to us, and so we need to help him. And when we get into that rut, we begin to lose our trust and our confidence in God, we lose our trust in him. Notice that he says he feedeth them. He feedeth the birds. And the original word carries the thought with it that he fattens them. He takes care of them. Are you not much better than they? Is the question that Jesus asks. Are you as humans not much better than the bird world? Uh now, this is, I know this is contrary to the mentality and the thinking of the animal rights people. Uh, they, they, they do not see man as being superior to the animal world. But Jesus here clearly points out that we are superior to the animal world. And if God is able to take care of the animal world, why couldn't he take care of you? That's the truth that comes through here. And so since God fattens the birds, what will he do for you and I? He also will take care of you and I. Verse 27. Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? Does anxiety add to our quality of life? No, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, anxiety takes away from our quality of life. Worry has been proven to take away the meaningfulness of life. It causes stress. 
And the medical world has proven to us that stress is harmful. And when there's sufficient stress, it affects us physically. When there's sufficient stress, it affects us mentally and emotionally. And so it does, anxiety does affect the quality of life. And so anxiety is unfruitful. It really doesn't prove anything to be a worrier. To worry is a little bit like what Jesus is saying here. Can you, by taking thought, or can you, by worrying, add one cubit, or can you add 18 inches to your stature? What's a ridiculous question? But it's intended to be ridiculous to get us to think, because there's none of us in all of our wishing can add 18 inches to our stature. Well, now, some of the boys here, uh, I remember as a boy dreaming that I was going to become real tall, but uh, my uh, genetic inheritance didn't permit that. Uh, and so, yeah, I recognize at a certain point in life that there's, there's some length going to get added. But we're talking to adults. Our anxiety cannot add any stature, can't add any quality of life to us. Verse 28, And why take ye thought for raiment or clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Before he told us to behold the birds, now he says, consider the flowers. The word consider means to notice carefully, to meditate upon, to think on. Take time to take a close look at nature. It's always refreshing. It's always therapeutic. Many of the problem, the problem with many of us is we're in such a high frame of, or such a high speed and to accomplish what we like to accomplish that we don't stop to think and meditate on God's creation and how recreative that can be, how refreshing that can be. Simply put, and this is for the men especially, stop and take time to smell the roses. It's therapeutic. We need that. It's a way of helping us to realize that there is more to life than what we can, can, can typically confine it to be. It says they toil not. Simply means the flowers are not fatigued. Have you ever seen a t fatigued flower? Well, maybe you have if they haven't had enough of water. But typically... If a, if a flower has sufficient uh, food and sufficient water, they're not going to be drooping. It says, neither will they spin. Did you ever see a lily scurrying about and being fretful about being presentful? At least that's the thought that I get from this word spin. Spinning your wheels and trying to, to change things that you can't change anyway. So we've never seen the natural world doing that. Verse 29, And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. There is something that is more beautiful about the natural world than even the glory of man's world. In 2 Chronicles chapter 9 is where we have the uh, account of the Queen of Sheba. 
And as she observed Solomon's kingdom, she saw servants and ministers and their apparel, and there was no spirit left in her. Well, as we observe the natural world, the glory of that is even beyond the glory of King Solomon. And so mankind through the ages has become anxious about his appearance. He's become over anxious about how they look. And, 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 sometimes, and sometimes that becomes such a cruel master. We get so caught up in our, in our appearance. And the cosmetic world and the fashion world knows that. And so they just appeal to the human family repetitiously to become conscious about how they look. And brothers and sisters, we're not to be looking to the billboards, to the advertisements, to the glossy magazines but to nature and the glory that we see there. Don't become obsessed with appearance. When we become obsessed with appearance, we become obsessed with ourselves and we lose focus of God. It undermines our faith. Created natural beauty is always more glorious than that which is manufactured and created by man. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, whose adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of the plating of hair and the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of great price. The quality that God is looking for lies within the man and the woman. It lies in their heart. He's not looking on the outward appearance, and we, which we tend to become uh, preoccupied with. When we create out, outward if, when we create outward fashion, it misrepresents the value and the glory of God. It's a false facade. It's it's not real. It's a, it's it's hypocrisy. And so we learn from nature what the real quality of life is all about. Verse 30, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? If God is able to put that glistening dew on a mountain meadow in the morning, and then that same day that grass gets, gets cut down by an enterprising farmer and it starts drying away, if God is able to show his glory on that momentary life of that mountain meadow, what can he do with you and I who have eternal spirits within us who live forever? God wants to do much work in our lives. He wants us to glorify him. And so if God arrays the plain, the common, the ordinary, the temporary with such glory, what is he going to do with your eternal soul? If God causes green meadows to flourish, what can he do with your life? And that ought to cause us to trust him because he is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond that which you are able to see or think. Now, when we stop to think about, as we think about anxiety, does, does this verse, do these verses 
prohibit any kind of planning for the future, any planting or harvesting. I really think Jesus is not, he's not condemning that. He is addressing a hard issue. He's addressing our hearts. He is addressing us so that we learn to have trusting hearts in him. And when our attitude is right, it becomes possible to trust God. And the flip side is true. If our attitude is not right, we are unable to trust God. Philippians 4.19, it says, But my God shall supply all your need according to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. Can you and I relax in God's providential care for our lives? Verse 31, Therefore take no thought, again, no anxiety, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? There are three basic needs in life. They are food, clothes, and shelter. All of these are good things. All of these things we have a responsibility as stewards to, to provide. However, we get so caught up in providing these three things in our lives that seeking better things prevents from happening because we get caught up in this. And, and Satan wants to keep us there. He wants us to be confined to this world of anxiety where we think we have to help God in providing everything in life. And somehow man gets to the place that he have, if, if he has provided these three things for his family, for his life, that somehow he's done enough. But notice what, what he says in verse 32. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. The world is seeking after those same things. And so as Christians who are trusting our Heavenly Father, our priorities need to be on a higher plane, on a higher level. There's more to life for kingdom people than just pursuing the necessities of life. There's much more to life than that. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Set your affections on things above, not on the things on the earth. Our focus in life needs to be a spiritual, eternal focus. In the heavenlies, if you please. And he continues on in verse 32, For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. Your heavenly Father knoweth. He understands your needs. And when we realize that our Heavenly Father knows these things, I believe this is a realization to what trust really means. Do we know that? Do we understand that? God, God is aware of you. Right here in Gladys, Virginia, or whatever other surrounding little towns or communities you have, God is aware of you. You're an audience, with, you're a majority audience with God. Your family, you as an individual, He knows your needs. And when we're aware of that, we then become free to serve God in other areas. We're not in bondage. We're not in bondage to thinking we need to provide. All of these other things. 
Worry is unnecessary because life's needs are conditionally ours. The condition is that we must trust our Heavenly Father instead of taking into our own hands. And so we're to seek. The word seek shows up here two times in verses 32 and 34. In verse 32, he's talking about what the Gentiles seek. Uh, the word, and the two words here have a slightly different meaning. For, for the word used for what the Gentiles seek is, is an intense craving, a driving greed, a serving of two masters, a compulsion for more and more and more. But for kingdom people, in verse 33, we seek first the kingdom of God. And here is the idea of planning, a disciplined goal, an outlook in life that involves choices of priorities, an outlook of life that involves trusting our Heavenly Father. All the lessons from nature teach us clearly that God knows us, knows our need. Are we trusting Him? Are we confident in Him? Verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. To seek involves searching, looking for. We are commanded to seek and to search for the things of the kingdom of God, his righteousness. And when a person is serious about searching, Everything else becomes second place. You've all probably lost something valuable or important. And everything else kind of gets forgotten. And, and you put your energies into, into seeking, into searching. Well, that's the kind of energy and goals that the kingdom people have in seeking the kingdom of God. If there's anything that we can be anxious about, this is it. It's okay to be anxious about the kingdom of God and how we can fulfill his purposes and how we can fit into his plan. It's okay to be anxious about that. As a matter of fact, it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And that alerts me to the fact that the kingdom of God is a priority. It stands above clothing, food, and shelter. It stands far above the whims and wishes for success in life. It's a priority. Romans 14, 17 says, the kingdom of God is not meat or drink. It is not things that pass away, but their eternal values, their eternal goals. Is that what we're looking for? Well, what is, what are the priorities of the kingdom? There are three priorities that I see here in verse 33. The first one is God's rulership. Seek ye the kingdom of God. Are we ready to submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ and allow him to rule our lives in all areas of life? Seek ye first his kingship. And to be his servants, we need to surrender to his servanthood. The second thing we seek for is God's righteousness. 
Is that a priority in our life? To become Christ-like, to become God-like, to allow his attributes to become an expression of our life. Are we seeking for that? And then the third thing is we seek is God's resourcefulness. Oh, this God that we serve is, is an awesome God is the expression. Because he knows our needs. He is resourceful. It says here that these things shall be added unto you. What things? It's talking about the clothe, the food, and the shelter. When we have the kingdom of heaven as our priority, God is going to take care of our needs. We can trust him. We don't need to be anxious about life. We seek his righteousness. The standard of living for kingdom people is not established by our peers. We find it so easy to do what the Joneses do. Well, up in our community, it's the Weavers, the Zimmermans, and the Martins. And around here, I'm sure you'd have to include the Yoders and the Shrocks. And the problem is, it's oftentimes not the Joneses that put the biggest amount of peer pressure on us, but it's the Weavers, the Zimmermans, and the Martins, and the Yoders, and the Shrocks. You know what I'm saying in the Stolzfuses? Yeah, that's where the biggest peer pressure comes from. Because we think we need to do what they do. And so we have this master, that have this master that rules our lives and brings a lot of confusion and a lot of pressure. And it causes us to lose focus of the kingdom of God. And then it introduces anxiety in our lives. So let's not compare ourselves among ourselves. It's a trap. And the sooner that we learn that, the easier it's going to become to trust him for our standard of righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. You know, food and clothing and shelter are incidentals that God provides for us. And can you and I come to the place in life where we can trust him for his resourcefulness and providing us with what we need? Can we trust him? Can we trust him? Or do we have to take it into our own hands like we so many times think we need to? God does the adding when our priorities are on the kingdom of heaven, when we are seeking first his righteousness. And because of that, then, take therefore no thought for tomorrow. Because our God is so resourceful in providing us with our daily need, it becomes totally unnecessary to become anxious about tomorrow. We can learn to live one day at a time and enjoy today for what today is instead of the master of tomorrow that tends to control our lives. Notice that verse again. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. That's what it means. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Continues on, for tomorrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Did you ever think about how anxiety zeroes in 
on the things of tomorrow. At night when we can't sleep, are we anxious about the past day? No, we're anxious about tomorrow. And we become so consumed about tomorrow and so anxious about tomorrow. What if this and what if that and on and on and on our mind goes. What if, what if, what if. Is it not true that when we ensure for tomorrow that it creates problems for today? Think about those people who are sold out to insurances. You know, there's all kinds of insurances that you can buy. Uh, paycheck insurance, you name it, it's out there. If, if you're willing to pay for it, it's there. And, and if they don't have it, believe me, if you've got the money, they'll create it for you. But you know what that does? That creates a problem for today. And so now we have to be anxious for tomorrow because we can't pay the bills. And so where is our trust of our Heavenly Father? I'm not saying that you shouldn't have any insurance. I'm not saying that. However, I am warning that over-insuring is because of anxiety. It's because we haven't learned to trust our Heavenly Father and His resourcefulness. We notice in the latter part of verse 33, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Sufficient. That means enough. Our Father is telling us, our Heavenly Father is telling us just what my dad used to tell me. He said, now, Ivan, that's enough. Sells Canunk. And our Heavenly Father is telling us the same thing. That's enough. You have worried about life enough. And it's time to start trusting Him. It's time to start living one day at a time by faith. Because tomorrow is going to bring sufficient problems of its own. That simply means that I need to learn to trust God today. In Proverbs 11 Verses 28 and 29. Proverbs 11, 28 and 29. He that trusteth in riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. And he that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind. You can't take wind into a bank account. Wind means nothing. Brothers and sisters, when we trust our Heavenly Father, the blessings, the blessings of life will become immeasurable because He is resourceful. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and He will provide us with our daily needs. And so to trust God, in conclusion, to trust God frees us from anxiety. It frees us from fear. It frees us from bondage of the two masters. But it frees us up to seek first the kingdom of God and his spiritual prior priorities. The Emancipation Proclama Proclamation was legislation that was passed by Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War. 
that proclaimed freedom to black slaves. I'd like to ask you tonight, have you been emancipated? Have you been freed from the master of this world? Set free from the bondage that maybe you have even put yourself under. Maybe you're a voluntary slave, but nevertheless you're a slave. Have you proclaimed your freedom in Christ? Have you cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you? That's a tremendous challenge, brothers and sisters. But I believe that's where God wants kingdom people to live at, one day at a time, seeking first the kingdom of God and not becoming caught up and becoming slaves to our own self-made priorities. Let's bow our heads as we pray.